Welcome to episode 5 of On Canvas Podcast. I'm Brad Leiby. I miss doing the podcast. It's been a few weeks. Uh, life has been extremely busy and for the most part everything that was taking up my time has been positive and lots of cool things going on. I had a show in Ithaca that's actually still up until the end of June and then hopefully I'm going to have some more shows in Ithaca that I'll be able to do some advertising for it during these podcasts. My Etsy shop has been doing good. Etsy.com slash shop slash Birdford Art, B-R-D-F-R-D Art. But I have been spending quite a bit of time with no phone and no internet, so it has definitely cut back on my being able to keep up on the social networking. But I'm about to get back to it. The mural project with the Rockwell Museum in Corning has started again, so I'm again working with the students at the High School Learning Center to uh, design the mural, and then starting in July we're going to be painting it in Denison Park in Corning. So very excited about that, and we might do some episodes of the podcast to incorporate that and some other things that I have going on this summer. Really, so many things going on that in order to be able to keep on doing the podcast regularly, I'm going to have to, you know, have the have some of the episodes be based on some of the exciting work that I'm doing with the Rockwell and with others. Check on the Facebook page for On Canvas regularly, facebook.com slash On Canvas Podcast. I will be dropping all information as it comes out about who we'll be interviewing and what other exciting things will be going on. It's been fun continuing to do some different stuff, videos for some of the people that we've interviewed in the past, and we're going to make that a theme, uh, checking back in on some people that we have gotten to know through our conversations and uh, seeing what more fun things they're doing, because everybody is being very productive. This episode of On Canvas Podcast is with my friend Amelia Harness. Amelia is a very impressive artist and somebody who I've looked up to over the years, and I've known her for the past three years or so. And we've gotten to have quite a few conversations, and we always, I mean, we always go all over the place with these conversations before I was doing the podcast. So she's been somebody that I've been really looking forward to sitting down and talking with. And after uh, a few confusing events where we couldn't end up doing our scheduled podcast, I did finally get to go over to her home slash studio in Corning and uh, got to see some very cool things that she had hanging on the walls, some things that she's collected over the years, and some work that she's in the middle of completing, as well as some things that are about to be in some shows that are coming up. Amelia and I talk about everything from growing up and being around art and getting early exposure to science, her interest in science, and her second career as a translator. We talked for about an hour, but still it's not enough. There's too many different things that we could have we could have spent more time on, and then there's tons more things that we didn't mention, but we're already planning on getting a second interview in. Amelia has some very cool videos and things online, some images of her work, some things that explain the process of how she completes her work, and some things that are just interesting interviews that other people have done. Amelia's gotten some really cool exposure, and she's been on... Uh, quite a few different things that we do mention in there and we'll have some links to it below 
So I, I, I highly encourage you to look in the link section and watch some of her YouTube videos and other things that will give you an idea of what her work is. If you're going to be in Corning this Friday, June 6th, Amelia is in a group show at Exhibit A on Market Street. I got to see some of the work in her house that will be in that show and I'm very excited to see it hung and finished. There's some other very cool artists that are going to be involved in that show as well and Exhibit A is an awesome place and I've enjoyed many shows there so I plan to be there this Friday. Remember you can find links to more info on Amelia and on on canvas in the section below so uh, check it out send her some some questions find out some more about her and give us some feedback on what you think of this episode and past episodes here is my conversation with Amelia we get into it at a point where we were talking about how strange the internet is like the internet's also a wild thing in terms of my wine stains like when they got picked up by this is colossal it got reblogged all over the place. And it was really strange to have absolutely no control over where they were going. Mm -hmm. And based on like Google Analytics and stuff, and I can kind of see who's coming into my website and from where, um, I could like it, it and there, and it's so passive on my part. I am doing absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, the first time when it got on This Is Colossal, it was because a friend of mine actually threw couch surfing. Interesting. Uh, she's in The Hague, and she had already been following this, the This Is Colossal. I, had, I didn't know about it yet. And they were doing some sort of Facebook thing where he asked, send me a link to an artist that you really are excited about, and then um, I'll choose my six favorite and then do a feature on them. And I was one of the six, which was really kind of awesome. But then from that point forward, it went to Huffington Post and mm -hmm. um, MSNBC and, and all. Of, so And with the wine stains, I have this kind of wonderful little dichotomy of it's an art-related thing, but it's a wine-related thing. Mm -hmm. So I'll get either on art blogs or I'll be on wine and food blogs or websites okay well so, so let's back up here a oh, little yeah, bit sorry. <laughs> I jumped so what your your wine stains yes. and we're going to have i'll post the videos of you making the wine stains with it also sure but yeah. how did that start was that i mean how like when did you first because i feel like wine stains with some sewing uh -huh. included in it was one of the first things of yours that I saw but right. that was how many years ago could that have been so I started the wine stains in July of 2010 so four years ago almost okay. and what happened was it actually it took maybe a year and a half or two years for the idea to finally come to that point mm -hmm. um, what I always tell people when they ask me, like, how did you come up with this? Mm -hmm. It's really no straight answer of, like, I was... Listening to lis war. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then all, and I was drinking a glass of wine, and I spilled it, yeah. and it looked like Jesus. And I said, oh, Eureka, and I made wine stains. No, it's not like that at all. Okay. It's actually... One of the things that I like doing most with my brain <laughs> is I like coming up with a series of questions of, like, what if I do this? Wouldn't it be cool if I did this? 
And so my sister gave me a silk painting kit that she had bought for uh, a textiles class that she took in college, but she wasn't going to keep doing it. And she wondered, you know, if I would want it. Mm -hmm. And silk painting has a beautiful kind of watercolor quality to it. And since my mother does watercolors and I had been doing watercolors for a very long time, I was very interested in the fact that it had that same look, but in a different uh, medium and with the cloth and the and all of that that stuff that went along with it. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really understand. I didn't know anything about silk painting at all. Right. The rules are much different. Yeah, than... and the resistance. I didn't even... I actually never did silk painting. I never even right. touched it. Like, I had this kit, and it just inspired the idea without me ever opening it, really. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking about the watercolor, and then I've always liked embroidery. Right. But the embroidery aspect... It's traditionally like hankies and pillowcases, and so it's always mm -hmm. been more of like a homesy decorative thing. Mm -hmm. But a few years ago, I went to the craft museum that used to be across the street from um, <clears throat> from MoMA. Okay. And then they moved to Columbus Circle, I think. But they had this embroidery show, and it like knocked my socks off because mm -hmm. it took embroidery, which I already found to be very soothing. Yeah. And it, but like I remember there were these weird stuffed arms and they tattooed they had like embroidered hmm. tattoos on them. That's really cool. Yeah, and like <clears throat> there's a lot of other stuff that was just I remember so many of the pieces from it. And so then I thought remembering that show, I said to myself, What if I embroidered a silk painting? So it'd be like an illustrated like a <clears throat> like a pen and ink Mm -hmm. over top of a watercolor, but everything would be textile. Interesting. And so that idea sat in my head for a few months. And then later on, I was thinking about this artist that used to do coffee washes. Mm -hmm. So I'd do like a pen and ink and then have like the brown would be a nice coffee wash. Yeah. And maybe you put some like gouache yeah. in there. Yeah, and there was a really cool thing. And so... In, and the, all of this was taking place in Portland, Oregon. Okay. And uh, I was with somebody at the time who was really, uh, had very knowledgeable about wine. Mm -hmm. And so we would drink wine a lot. And then that little lightning bolt struck with, what if I could use wine as a dye? Mm -hmm. And then... But I didn't, I still didn't grasp the concept of how to do silk painting with the resist. And so I tried the first one and it just bled everywhere. And I was like, well, that's right. not going to work. And so I, another few months went by and I have a really good friend from high school who uh, studied French and anthropology, I believe. And she moved to Niger in Africa for a while. And that's when she learned batik. And so she was talking about the batiks she had been doing and explain the process and it was at that moment when I realized okay if I have cloth and I want to do a watercolor looking thing using wine as a dye I can use wax as the resist right. and make a portrait in the using the batik style okay and that was the final okay let's give this a shot and so 
I did two in one sitting. And the thing about the wax, when you put it on, it obscures what you're doing more and more. So you start with a drawing and then you pick out the white that you want to keep and you put mm -hmm. the wax on it and then you put a light stain of wine over it and then you pick out the next lightest and you put wax on it and then you put mm -hmm. more wine on it and you just go like that until the darkest areas are like five or six layers of wine stain mm -hmm. and then you just get all the gradients up to that point yeah. but as you're building those gradients you're just putting more and more and more wax on it yeah and it gets a little crazy because mm -hmm. the wax has its own properties yeah and at the time i was like in the backyard with a propane grill a coffee can <laughs> like dead candles <laughs> and like this nasty kitty brush yeah and some dumb fabric yeah and because i had no idea if it was gonna work i really truly had no idea yeah and so as i'm going into it i'm like almost done with the wax part and i'm looking down at these things and i'm thinking I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. And so the final part, which is the magical part, mm -hmm. is you, what I do is I, I use an iron, like a household iron, to mm -hmm. pull the wax back out right. via like paper towels and stuff. So you put all the paper towels on top of it and you're ironing it and then the wax starts coming up and you lift up the paper towel and then you finally see what you've been doing. Yeah. Which is a really intense moment. Because yes, is you, you can kind of, like, if you use clear wax, which I've been doing more, mm -hmm. if you lift it up, you can let light come through it, and you can see kind of what's happening. Right. But even then, I've discovered that it still doesn't truly reflect what happens at the very end. Okay, so the wine does not, like push off of the wax in an extreme way so that you would be able to really see the effect that it is having right until until at the you very are removing end the wax. yeah and so the mm -hmm. wax will keep things tight where i want to keep it vague well and then the wax is also fun because depending on the type of wax the melting point of the wax and the smoking point of the wax <laughs> which I've learned the hard what, way. Paraffin yeah, seriously. Well, paraffin versus beeswax versus yeah. candle wax because some of the stupid candles you buy, I think there's a larger degree of just plain old plastic or I yeah. don't know what, what's in it. Yeah. And it does funny things. Huh. And you have to get the wax hot enough to soak through the fabric. And mm. sometimes it looks like it's soaked through... But if you're not careful and you don't flip the thing over constantly to make sure yeah. that it's soaked through, it will go partially and then the wine can seep around to the back part and do wild and crazy things. Yeah. Did you have a lot of a lot of ones in the beginning that were not yeah. so gratifying? Well, and and exactly, yeah. And I'd, it take it, I'd, I'd, be, I'd look at it as I was going and be like, ooh, I think this one's going to be good. And then I'd pull out the wax and be like, nah, it didn't quite do what I thought I was doing. Hmm. Or ones that I'm like, hey, I don't know about this one. I pull it, the wax out and I'm like, oh, wow, actually this one looks great. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I did embroidery at first was because because I was using a stupid kitty brush, I had not very much control. Right. 
and the edges of features and the edges of the face and like very important edges would be a little messy. Mm -hmm. And so I could go back through and redraw via the embroidery, which of course is a very slow way of drawing. Oh yeah. <laughs> it takes so long. I bet. And the, were you and were you doing that part of it with a machine or are you No, like, I am hand sewing. <laughs> hand sewing that oh, stuff. Jesus. And I'm kind of particular and so I want my stitches it, to be like half a millimeter. Yeah. It and does not so, look like it was hand done. Yes. <laughs> so it's it is hand it's crazy. it is hand done. Wow. It takes a long time. Jeepers. So, and then the, the wine stain process itself, um, it's not a quick thing because you have to let the wine dry. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to be, I've been impatient and I've tried to speed up the drying and it's not a good idea. No. You just got to let it take yeah. its course. Yeah. And yeah, so a lot of this though has been very, I mean, it's very experimental. There's not really anybody else doing this to the best of my knowledge. Yeah. And so there's no way of me looking to somebody else and saying, hey, I've been having trouble with this. What do you recommend? Right. Um, I can kind of, in terms of like silk painting or batik, and try to extrapolate some of the techniques that they use or chemicals to pre-treat or... I'm not familiar with batik. Batik is a style of dyeing fabric in patterns. Okay. You'd recognize it. If you look yeah. it up, it has that kind of marbly look to it. Mm -hmm. Because you, you'd lay down a pattern. And you can do designs, like full illustrated kind of designs. And then you would kind of crumple it up and it would make cracks in the wax so that the, the dye gets in there. Okay. And then you use different colors. And it's kind of like the Ukrainian eggs, the pisanki. Mm -hmm. um, so it's that same sort of concept, but yeah. not on eggs, but on like hyper, hyper detail that comes through. Yeah. Yeah. So there's two main areas in the world that do batik or are known for batik, and that's African batik mm -hmm. and then Indonesian batik. Interesting. And so once I started kind of looking more into that, I bought myself a jaunting, uh, which is a pen that you plug it in and it's got this little well and you can melt wax in it. Mm -hmm. And then there's a pin that when you push down, the pin goes up and it creates this little opening so the wax can come out. Interesting. And so you can draw with it. Hmm. And that's when the second round of wine scenes emerged because I could have a lot more control and I could have more lines mm -hmm. and, um, and incorporate a drawing style that I had already done a lot in my sketchbooks for years and years, mm -hmm. which is, uh, you know, you do a line drawing and the shading comes from areas of vertical lines. And the darker the area, the closer the lines would be kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so with the jaunting, I could do that with the wine stains, mm -hmm. but more in reverse, I guess. Yeah. And so then that's the embroidery wasn't needed so much to, to kind of clean up and finalize the drawing because I was able to put the drawing in the wine stain mm -hmm. a lot more easily. And then I also got a tiny kistka, which is used for the sankey. 
Um, that's We're also have electric. footnotes at the bottom. Of I know, <laughs> <laughs> I know, and like all the places, all the shopping online places you can get this stuff. Yeah, because it's really fun. Yeah, it's really fun to have these weird little plug-in tools. It sounds like it, and, and it's a hot process too. Right. I mean, because I still also will use the melted wax in a pan and it like a water bath thing so we have like a new little burner system and all this nonsense my god <laughs> yeah so there's so many electrical things happening that are keeping things hot mm-hmm. and then i will do um maybe four or five wine stains at a time yeah so that i can do you know the first layer of wax boom 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 and then by the time i get back to the first one that i started for the second layer of wax, it would be dry. Yeah. And so I just keep rotating through. And have you, yeah, you found that that is... And that's a really good way of working. Otherwise, you get really bored. Right. Waiting. Yeah. Or I just, or I, the process takes weeks instead of a day. Well, it takes a lot of organization. Yes. So I want to get into the part where this started to take off and Mm -hmm. more about those publications and started promoting it. But first, I would like to talk about where did you, with your your interest in art, Mm -hmm. was it... I mean, was it entirely because of your both of your parents are doing painting? Or were you first interested in uh, more of a, a... textile kind of a thing mm. or um oh god that's a or a question. combination of things there i guess i would say what did was, young amelia do yeah I know. <laughs> well young amelia is quite different from old amelia yeah because i'm real rather goofy person charismatic i don't know call it yeah. whatever you want <laughs> um i've always been someone that likes to mess around with things or play around with things, I guess. Because mm-hmm. uh, my parents, both of them were artists. My dad did more drawing and graphics, and he'd do portraits and surrealism and um, really fantastic stuff, uh, really strange, and he was self-taught. Self-taught. So I think my dad really instilled in me the idea of, you don't you don't necessarily need to figure it out. You don't need to find someone else to help you figure it out. Mm-hmm. You can figure it out on your own. Right. And that I think has been a really huge part of my life in that um most things I do, I really I'm just, have so much excitement to just do it on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why college was boring to me because right. I just I'm I, I do understand that it's good to have a curriculum and to go through the steps and mm-hmm. learn this and then that and it makes logical sense and all that. But there are sometimes where something would be interesting and then you just, like earlier, you just want to go down that rabbit hole and you right. just want to figure that out on your own. Some of us are going to be held back more by right people thinking that there's a necessity to, to like, step projects. by step and... <laughs> Oh yes, yes. <laughs> teamwork. Yeah. I mean, I could I could do teamwork, but those were really laborious and slow. <laughs> yeah. And then so that I think was a major part of having like my dad be somebody that, you know, always encouraged me to figure it out and, you know, do the work 
on my own. And, and it was a very rewarding feeling. And then my mom does watercolors and she does more uh, nature, landscapes, uh, birds. She's mm-hmm. really, really good at birds. Blue herons are just yeah. spectacular. And I think with my mom, she really instilled a kind of, um, how do I say this? Like, really putting in the work, putting in the time to do something and do something well. Because watercolor can yeah, because watercolor is to have is, that mindset. It, yeah, it's it's a it's a fast thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be decisive about what you're doing, but also embrace the chaotic nature of it, which is the wine stains still do that. Right. There's a lot of that in it, and so um, so yeah. So I mean, not to say that my dad wasn't all about doing something very well, mm-hmm. but that's just something that. Uh, my mom's more of the workaholic. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. But there's, yeah. And so, you know, I was raised. It's a good combination. Right? With, you know, art on the walls. A blank wall feels really weird to me mm-hmm. to walk into a place and there's nothing on the wall. That's just, right. that's, no. <laughs> and then they hung out with artists. And so I was raised eating dinner with, and Wells, you know, or mm-hmm. eating dinner with the gardeners or, you know, people around town. Shouts and then, out to the, all those people. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so inevitably they talk about artwork or they talk about shows. Um, and it just, it was there. It was, mm-hmm. and I was extremely lucky because I know so many kids who are interested in art are not blessed with parents that would let them yeah. even have 15 minutes with, you know, sitting down and just letting them draw all over the place. Right. Anyway, so, I mean, I was, I benefited from my dad having a studio in the house yes. and just doing that. Hey dad, what are you up to? Well, you know, I'm working, but here, here's a piece of watercolor paper and some watercolors. Mm-hmm. You can sit next to me and work on stuff. So that was it's, really, really good. Yeah. It's, and do you think that, do you think that it could have been any other way for you to then end up being anything like how you are today if you hadn't gotten that encouragement? You know. Because those are kind of opposing schools of thought there right. on whether, yeah. you know, you weren't getting simply just encouragement. People weren't just telling you you're awesome. You were seeing how hard you have to work for different things. And you right. were seeing, you know, your your taste was probably a little bit more highly developed than most people your age because mm-hmm. you had seen right. people I was exposed working. To, and, and my dad was loved film. And so we would okay. watch, you know, we weren't just watching stupid Disney movies, although I did watch some stupid Disney <laughs> movies. But, you know, I remember my dad watching Amadeus and watching... Mm-hmm. Eisenstein and other more artsy uh, movies and thinking, getting absorbed in them and being really kind of, because it just visually, they're just so breathtaking in a lot of them. Um, And I'm sure the others, I don't remember. Like Lawrence of Arabia and Dr. Zhivago. I remember there was the the blizzard of 93 and my dad thought it was fun 
that we'd all hunker down in the living room and watch Dr. Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's blizzards outside. Yeah. So, yeah. But I think if my parents hadn't been artists, I feel like this is, I never really thought about this before, but given just how my brain works, I, I probably would have ended up in science somehow. Yeah. Because I really do like understanding how things work. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy uh, also kind of thinking ahead of that and thinking, well, if this works this way and this works that way, what if we did a hybrid of that and what would that look like? Mm -hmm. You know, that's really, and that's how the wine stains come about. So I think I would probably end it up. Well, and I also do uh, my side career. I don't know, my (laughs) parallel career, because they're kind of, they're even, is translation. And so the translation I do is French to uh, English medical and pharmaceutical stuff. Because I'm really keenly interested in medicine and physiology and anatomy but i am not a very touchy-feely person yeah (laughs) so i have absolutely no desire to be one-on-one in a room and having to touch somebody and then like their fluids oh yeah i don't i don't want that (laughs) but i really really enjoy also that science of this is happening this is happening when these two things happen at the same time, it means this is, you know, the overarching thing that's at work. And that kind of detective, and so that reverse engineering, I guess, yeah. of, of how things are working. And so I would have, you know, <clears throat> at first, when I took anatomy and physiology, actually up at CCC mm-hmm. with uh, Dr. Franklin, more shout outs yeah. <laughs> it was awesome and I loved that course and cool. I only needed one more science credit and this two year or two two semesters and I only needed one yeah. so I only took half but I loved it and at the time I had no idea that such a thing as translation existed yeah and so being already being in the arts a lot of people said well you should do medical illustration no way no. I'm going to be in a room with a dead body Yeah, all cut open and splayed open and things popping out I don't, yeah. don't want to draw that I really <laughs> yeah, don't no. I have no interest in that I wouldn't have any interest <clears throat> in that either Mm-mm. definitely not so you know it's it's a roundabout way I mean everybody's got that special little set of things that make them tick and that's what you know, mm-hmm. and if you can really hone in on or home in on the that crazy little tiny corner that you're really good at, mm-hmm. it's it's a miracle when you can figure that out. Yeah, really. I mean, I'm I for a very long time I was knocking around. I did two years of business school. Yeah, I tried graphic design. Uh, and those things do come into play. Yeah, it I sounds like things that would still be informing. <clears throat> right, but I'd always inevitably get deep deep enough into it and say to myself, I don't want to do this. Yeah. I really don't want to be a manager. I really <laughs> don't want to have to do graphic design for people. Yeah. And it's a hard moment when you go down that like one of those hallways and then you get to a point you just... I've gotten this so far in this, yeah. and I actually don't like it. Right. Like, 
the way that I need to like it. Interesting. And that's a that's a hard time and, to be able to say, you know, this isn't for me. Yeah. And a lot of people, it that's I mean that's a really hard thing to do, especially if you've sunk money into it. Yeah. In college. Yeah. And then you feel trapped, and a lot of people just will feel like the only out the only way that they can cope with that is just well i guess i'm in this hallway i'll keep going right even though they don't like it and that was always very tragic to me yeah but it's scary to to walk back find another door and say all right i have no money and here i'm going (laughs) right well and even i mean i'm i'm there are definitely cases where having an abundance of interests Mm-hmm. boggles your mind and oh, confuses God. you but oh God. you do find many other people that really do not that that's their larger problem is not having an abundance of interests yeah you know exactly not being able to find what their interests are or if you're so focused on one thing and then it becomes obsolete you oh. know and then you're you have nothing to do you know that's why sometimes retirement is scary for people because their identity is their work yeah and retiring means that they have no identity anymore yeah but i will never have that problem <laughs> yeah i don't see how don't you could ever retire so. from all of this. i oh god there is no no retirement from this but which I is mean, great you definitely um you you also I, I think that there's also something about having an interest in like experimenting mm. that it seems that you have that like, one of your interests is in, like, finding new interesting ways of doing things. Right, so right. that's almost like, you know, like a self, self-propelling self Right, exactly. <laughs> thing. And, I'm, yeah. and I've always been very self-directed. And so being an entrepreneur and being self-employed is just, like, breathing. I can't, mm-hmm. you know, when I have brief moments where I'm strapped for cash or whatever and I end up in a job that's more of a 9-to-5 I can exist for a while, but then ultimately it just oh, it wears me down so bad yeah. and so fast. Yeah. No, so, I think that people will get get a sense of that from this interview. How yeah. much? Oh yeah. And from other that that's a that's like a overlaying theme of mm-hmm. talking to artists is that people who are on the outside who are going to listen to this, I hope that they at least are getting like, oh my God, that is such hard work. Like that it is... It really is. Like to be self-employed. You it, could be... Oh my God. It could be really easy on yourself, but none of the people who are doing anything very interesting are yeah. very easy. On that note, I think it would be a good time to mention that we are taking donations on PayPal to help pay our hosting fees online. Go to www.facebook.com slash oncanvaspodcast, and there you can find a link to our PayPal donation page. And any little bit of money that you would give to us would be very helpful, and it would just make it very easy to keep everything hosted, every single episode hosted, right in the same place on iTunes. So any little bit helps on themselves at well, all. Because the other half of art, in order to um, make any sort of money from it, is there is a lot of salesmanship that goes into it that's really, it's a, it's a terrible tightrope to walk for artists because with other, like, if you have a product, if you have, you know, um, baskets and you've made baskets Mm -hmm. they're functional 
you you know like they have a lifespan that's understood and you just you pedal baskets and that's mm-hmm. and it's a cut and dried thing but with artwork and especially in the art market these days it's not cut and dried and you are making quote unquote products mm-hmm. but they are they are um like They're people like flowers yeah and they, and and people at, at have to attach like an emotional meaning to them art as an investment of course exists yeah however i've i don't know how satisfying that can ultimately feel because the reason why i think a lot of artists make work is because it it comes from a place where it's so much more inspired and the art that i think is most popular or that really connects to people is because it has that universal or some sort of human element to it that is not tangible, it is not quantifiable, it you know, you can't definitively say this is one hundred dollars worth of human element and in ten years it will be five hundred dollars or whatever. Like that to me is insane to think about. It is nice if you can I guess if you need that, but really, artwork is a thing that when you buy a piece of artwork is because something about it makes you go, yeah, I love that. Yeah. That I love that because it reminds me of X Y Z, and I want it to re- keep reminding me of X Y Z in my house. So when I walk by it and I look at that, I think to myself, that was an awesome day. I was. Like this this piece on my wall here, which no one can see, <laughs> that was at Soulful Cup. Yeah. And I went to sit. It was a small. Yeah. It was a small nude. Of like jazz hands. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. It's, a, it's orange and peach, and it's this woman, and she's got like little jazz hands going on, but this crazy hair and really weird makeup, and it was. Way too cheap, which is why I have it. Yeah. <laughs> I could afford a $40 right. drawing. But as I was sitting at the table and it was staring at me, and I was drawing, and I just could not not have it. Mm-hmm. It just, it was, it's like a puppy. They're, yeah. like, they're like pets. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. just, you just, you attach to them, and then you just love them. And then when you have them in your house and you look at them, they are continually just making you feel good. Yeah. And the wine stains, one of the aspects of the wine stains that is a little tricky is the preservational aspect and the archival aspect. A lot of people ask, well, will they fade? And for me, it's, it's, they're like little butterflies. Mm -hmm. They're, they are delicate. They are really delicate. And, since again, if I'm the only person that I know who's doing this, so I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know. Right. I'm doing wine stains on wood now, and I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how long they'll keep, and it is a risk that you take. But there are so many other things that people buy that they trade in in three years. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you get it flat screen TV you spend I don't even know how much a flat screen TV costs yeah, no, no, hundreds of dollars yes. not more yes we'll assume 
and you have it for three years, five years, most people, and then you get rid of it. And, yeah. You know, and the amount of time you spend in front of it. But if you have this little piece of artwork and you have it for 10 years and it you continue to look at it and think about it and it can change in meaning over time too. Right. And it's just, it's a different thing entirely or you know it's there are a lot of disposable things that we spend tons of money on you know you get you go out on the town yeah you're gonna easily spend 50 bucks more than that 100 bucks for a hangover yeah come on (laughs) you know isn't that interesting yeah i mean not that not that there is something there's there is something really understandable about you know, or quantifiable even about spending money on a good experience. Right. And that is almost the same thing that you are spending money on with art. With artwork, yeah. exactly. And it, But it will last longer than an evening. Right. I mean, of course, you can have a wonderful, memorable evening, but mm. usually if you're, you know, some people go out and get obliterated and they don't remember. Yes. And you've <laughs> wasted $20, $30 for... The chance to be blackout drunk and, you know, well, I won't get into much, that. Much, much more than I, 20 or $30 oh sometimes. I know. And Damn I, it. This is my bitter part of me that when I lived on Market Street, I lived two doors down from Mally's. So mm-hmm. that's that side of me talking. <laughs> you know, people peeing in my stairs. Yeah. Yay. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> It, so yeah, it, it, that that whole that whole idea it reminds me of the and I can't remember the specifics of it, but you probably heard something about it. The that like at one point when Holland was a center of trade, mm-hmm. and it was basically that was like the most powerful empire, mm-hmm. and the king had valued this certain tulip, this certain yeah kind of tulip. It Wait, was is like, this from what's this from Botany of Desire? No. It was from a documentary, I think, yeah, on the story about channel apples, about... Yeah, potatoes, tulips, and... And wheat. And wheat. Yeah. But, I mean, so the... Yeah, that that, that was the most valuable product that they had. Right. And then one day he decided that he liked a different flower better. And I believe they said that that, like, crippled the economy, you know? Right. I mean, it's not... Yeah, it's all driven by tastes and preferences. Yeah. And, and, oh, yeah. I'll, That's just a testament Believe me, to I took two years of business school. I right. remember all that silly economical stuff. But the thing about economics that would drive me nuts is that there's so many things that economics, that the, the, the system that we use to derive GDP and how the economy is doing and all of those markers of success and is it healthy, is it tanking, is it recession, is it blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And those markers are set on uh, a set of things that are quantifiable. Mm -hmm. However, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in terms of productivity, if you want to talk about that, Mm -hmm. that aren't registered in GDP. That Mm -hmm. always made me really crazy to think about people stay at home mothers mm-hmm. they're they're not not doing anything my yeah, god they're course, doing yeah. a lot yeah. and they're because of the work that they do other people are able to you know say their spouse or whatever um they're able to go and work mm-hmm. and not have to worry about certain things at home like say your children yeah, <laughs> you yes. know, which are valuable yeah. needless to say yeah and or the black market 
There's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff going on in the black market that doesn't get registered, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of bartering, uh, you know, a lot of artists are forced to barter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that doesn't get, can't get accounted. And so there's a lot of underground stuff that's happening and that doesn't ever get taken into account. Mm-hmm. And it just, that concept of, we're going to say the economy is healthy based on these things and we're just going to turn a blind eye because we can't easily quantify all this other stuff that's happening. Yeah. And so that just kind of drove me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, and doing things, doing things in that effects that artists have. That's a, that's a theme in mural painting and public art that is oh, like yeah. almost with a lot of the murals that were just painted in Rochester with the wall therapy program, that uh-huh. was a lot of where those artists, where their mindsets were. Uh-huh. And as they go to Philadelphia and to other cities, then yeah. they are commenting on the economic situation of the area, but then also what kind of the people who have hired them to come there, what their thinking is for what the artists affect mm-hmm. on the economy of the area is going yeah. to be. It, and I mean, a lot of times the, the whole gentrification Mm-hmm. stuff you know the artists are the ones that are broke and fearless to move into a certain neighborhood that most other people wouldn't live in god forbid oh my god there are black people there whatever mm-hmm. and they move into this area and start doing the work that they do which they have to do really cheaply and then all of a sudden someone catches on and like oh wow there's a lot of artists over here mm-hmm. and they're painting buildings and they're doing these crazy little sculptures in the streets and all of this like guerrilla art and yarn bombing and Mm -hmm. whatever those kinds of of really innovative and exciting things or house shows all of the music and all of that that kind of stuff like in portland oregon i was in and among all the art uh music people for a long time yeah and that i mean oh my god talk about poor people yeah (laughs) artists that love and have such a beautiful passion for music holy crap and the sad lives that a lot of them lead and but it's gorgeous and it's exciting and it makes life beautiful and it makes and that's what makes evenings memorable you know Mm -hmm. you go out to a bar you don't think about the music that is on in the background, the way that the, you know, if you go to one of the cooler bars, there'll be artwork on the walls, which, you know, you mm-hmm. try not to splash with beer, but, yeah. <laughs> or puke on it, whatever. Yes. You know, but there's, there's atmosphere. And without the artists to create atmosphere, you get hospitals. Yeah. You know, we don't want to live in hospitals. We want to yeah. live in cool places that have, fountains and gardens and you know and art is like the garden for your wall mm-hmm. i don't know <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it's, it's exciting and and it's 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 hard to take it for granted it's, it's sad that a lot of people take it for granted yeah but well. on the other hand i mean we're also all here and have certain needs to fulfill and yeah you know you got to feed yourself and, and make yourself feel comfortable and for many people, art is not needed to make them comfortable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> so. Definitely no many To each his own. Like I don't want to be like highfalutin or anything and right. say that everyone who doesn't own artwork is a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what I want to say at Might all. Might be generally true. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. 
Well then, how does... I'm going to... I'm going to categorize what some of the other things that we hinted at here mm. as your success. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so would you would you agree with that as as the getting back to the specifics of mm. the the wine stains and the and your your individual art that you're doing mm-hmm. have things do things change for you? First of all, what are the let's go more in depthly okay. on on the publications, but yeah. also I mean, Well, it's 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 a funny thing. So a lot of times when artists, uh, when there's like business for artists or how to be a successful artist, and a lot of times there's emphasis on gotta get out of your start studio. You gotta get in a gallery. You gotta get out there and, and exposure. And right. oh god, and <laughs> all of the people who want to give you good exposure if you do something for them for free, that kind of you want exposure, this magical yes. thing. Yeah. Well, I will tell you that in this day and age, exposure does not necessarily translate to financial success. Mm-hmm. A lot of people assume if I'm on a Huffington Post, I must have sold something. Mm-hmm. No. No. Not the case. <laughs> Not the case at all. And I, and it was surprising. It was surprising to me. You know, the video that came out, mm-hmm. and everyone was like, oh my God, the, the wine stain that you did of Jay-Z, like he's totally going to want that. I have not gotten any emails from Jay-Z. No way. There's no way at all. And so it's it's funny that you get a lot of people who are very happy to look at the work, but... You get you can see it on a website. You can look at it any time digitally, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna say, "All right, and now I want to own that and have it for my own, yeah, in my own house," because it's so easy just to go online and yeah. look at it online. Yeah. So you know, back in the day, you could even have it displayed on your big screen TV. Right. <laughs> exactly. And so you know, back in the day, an oil painting. Before the internet, if you wanted to see that oil painting, you'd have to go to the museum or you have to go to the house or wherever it's located. Some books would have images of it, but for a very long time, the reproductive the reproduction value mm-hmm. of photography and and printing of, of art books weren't that great. Yeah. And you know, or you'd spend a ton of money on a really good art book. Because of the printing quality and all that. But now mm-hmm. that the Met... and I mean, there are pros and cons, of course. Uh, like, the Met has all all of their things cataloged online. And you can go through the whole collection. Yeah. And look at it. And look at it zoomed in. And see mm-hmm. tiny little details and all that fun stuff. And not have to drive down to New York City or... Yeah. Or virtually virtually stand in the room and click your arrows and walk around right. the museum. Exactly. I can do that with the Louvre, I think. Yeah. But Tom Beekner, having worked in the museums, mm-hmm. I remember one afternoon he would on Saturday afternoons he'd invite people over to paint from like one to five. And he'd put on a the opera that was broadcast live on the radio. From the uh, the Met. How charming. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and we would listen to the opera, and he'd smoke his cigars, and we'd yeah. all paint and chat, and but paint. 
And then at five o'clock, we'd all pack up and then we would go have two martinis in his study and talk about whatever we wanted until seven, at which point he would go down and watch a movie with his wife. Mm -hmm. He was very much, he was a very German kind of guy. Yeah. And I remember one of those evenings talking about his museum experiences because he was a, um, a... uh, display design person at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. He was the one of the youngest directors, I think the youngest director of the Brooklyn Museum of Art. And he, most notably in this area, was the first director of the Corning Museum of Glass. Right. And so he was telling stories about building collections for the Museum of Glass and, um, and the day that he got to go and hold girl with a pearl earring in his hands mm. and see it and be able to make a copy of it and and all of the extraordinary stuff that he's seen in person and that's mm-hmm. one of the things that he really emphasized was even though art books are way better in terms of quality mm-hmm. nothing ever beats seeing it in person yeah and if you ever have the opportunity to go to as many museums as you can mm-hmm. and see the big pieces and see the Rembrandts and the Vermeers and the Picassos and all of those and see those works with your own eyes in a room. There's something that does not come through a book right? or the internet. Yeah. And so this would have been two and a half or three years ago. I did that. I went to Europe and I spent two months traveling around with a URL pass and I went to nine different countries and I went to over 50 museums. Yeah. And it was my art history class, quote unquote. Yeah. And I went and saw all of these big major pieces. You know, I went to Uffizi and I went to the Prado and I went to the Louvre and I went to, you know, all of these very pivotal museums that have yeah. the good stuff. Yeah. And the thing that was remarkable about it was you know, I would know certain paintings were in certain museums that I'd be excited, like, oh, I'm going to go see um, the Venus of Urbino mm-hmm. or whatever. And I'd get up to it. And there'd always be that real experience matched with the expectation. Mm-hmm. And some paintings I'd get in front of it and think, oh, okay, <laughs> there it is. Right. And some paintings just, holy crap really knocked my socks off the um the david painting i forget what museum it's in it's a david painting a very famous painting of the death of marat i believe where it's this guy he's got this turban on he's in a bathtub and he was writing something and he's been murdered in the bathtub and he's all mm-hmm. slumped over the edge mm-hmm. oh yes i know that painting yeah and it's a black beard i don't think so no. but i mean it's a very dark painting yeah it's, it's very simple there's not much to it and there's you know blood on his thing that he was writing and in books it's re- it's a very intense painting but in real life a it's huge yeah. A book will never, ever be able to give you the scale of something. Right. And so this thing is, like, eight feet tall or something crazy like that. It's giant. And then the other half of it is the composition of that painting is half black. You get the bathtub and the guy in the lower half of the painting, but the upper half is black. It's just yeah. black. 
nothing's going on. Interesting. And in in the book, you in, looking at a book or online, you, you really are focused on the the figure and the guy in the bathtub mm-hmm. and the blood. But you're in in front of this painting, and all of a sudden you're just like, it's so black. Mm-hmm. It's so huge and foreboding because so much of it is just this crushing black. And like you're in the darkness. Yeah. And so I would never have ever found that through a book or online, mm-hmm. you know? And so as much as it's really convenient to be able to look at certain things online, I will never, oh, yeah. you know, but it, it doesn't, it never compares to looking at something in person yeah. and having it, you know, in front of your face. Right. It's just, there's a different energy because some, some pieces really somehow, if you want to get into that kind of stuff, I mean, it really has a weird little sparkling energy to it. Yeah. And that's what, and it sings, it just sings to you. And that's why when you buy artwork, you buy the things that somehow just zap off the wall and just straight into your little Mm -hmm. face. And you're just like, holy crap, what is this doing to me? Right. I don't know why it's singing to me like it, but it is. And that's when you have to say, well, you've chosen to sing to me. I will will choose to let you sing to me all the live long day. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. (laughs) Oh, that gets me so excited to go see more in my life. I have not. I saw a Monet show in Mm -hmm. Buffalo when I was like a little kid. I remember that show. I went at the Albright Knox. Yeah, at the Albright Knox. And that that was. Yeah, I was that was when I did did start to understand and didn't I still didn't understand it when I left that show like how he painted on things so much larger than the walls in my house. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But then without also without being able to see either. Yeah. That show was the show that I realized I didn't understand that he went blind. Yeah. I never that never clued into me and I thought it was just like yeah. he was a st- it was a style but it it was a style the, because he couldn't see. <laughs> yes. It's interesting. But that I have, I have, um, like, I've got, in the past couple years, I got a Salvador Dali book mm. full of prints. Mm-hmm. And then I look at it where it says what museum it's in. Most of them in St. Petersburg. Mm-hmm. But then it says the size of the thing. And I'm like, oh, my oh, God. Crap. Like, mm-hmm. this is, this is really, really huge. Yeah. And it's cool. But then to imagine... That's, I mean, that is something that I need to go and give myself that art history lesson. Yeah. Even in, even in checking out museums in America mm. that I have not gotten. I know, I haven't actually, and that, and I, whenever I talk about the European museums I've been to, I, I mean, I've been to the Met and the one in Boston and the ones in D.C., but. Did you what, go to the, the one in Boston, the. I forget, the fine arts one? No. Is it the one that acquired all of the paintings? Was that or was that in Philadelphia? Is that what I'm thinking of? That might have been Philadelphia. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah, <laughs> we need to. Yeah, all of the beautiful museums <laughs> that exist in the states. I right. also need to do that tour. Like I've never been to the Chicago, the one in Chicago. Apparently, the one in Toledo is. Oh really? Beaker said that the art museum in Toledo was surprisingly really good. And then the L.A. places and, um, yeah. you know, and the Portland Museum is actually pretty good. It's a nice little collection. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, there. yeah, definitely being able to have something 
in front of you, it makes a huge difference. Right. Yeah. I forgot the name of the first publication that you said. Because now, oh, like, how many, is... how many, like, online magazines, and also oh, the, yeah. the thing that's interesting about them not even being, like, English, mm, you know? Yes. I find that really interesting. Yeah, so it started with This is Colossal, and then it went around a lot of different places, uh, even... Ripley's Believe It or Not, that kind of stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, and then, so that I think was the first round. The second round, it was This is Colossal again. That is the initiation one, I guess. And that is when Huffington Post, MSNBC, um, Wine and Spirits, who else? There was... Um, and then a bunch of smaller ones. Mm -hmm. And then most recently, I was in Wine Life magazine, which is a Dutch magazine. Uh, Wine Pass, which is an Italian magazine and website. Um, I've been on a couple of German smaller art blogs. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been on a Spanish radio show. <laughs> which I didn't know I could you know she told me when to tune in I tried I mean I don't speak Spanish so I would have been yeah totally I have no idea what that says oh that's so cool um yeah. and let's see what there is some a, a Finnish website just recently that I found huh. um I've been all over the Russian websites um, there was a embroidery publication that I was contacted about. Oh, I'm going to be in a textbook. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's a fat, um, surface design on fabric or something to that effect. It's a small run of them, but it's it's in my first textbook mm -hmm. that I'm in. Uh, figure 1.41. Let's <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. see. And then... <laughs> And then there's, and, th and that's just when I go and look for things. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes people don't contact me and they just reblog or write up their own article. And I have no idea that that's happening. And so I have to Google name or Google search my own name mm -hmm. in order to find out where I've been recently. Do you have the Google alerts turned on? I did. And then <laughs> it stopped working. I must have to reactivate it yeah. or something. And so, but the most fascinating part of this is a lot of this comes passively. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is very flattering when mm -hmm. people write to me and ask to do this or that. Uh, the WSKG Artist Cafe, mm -hmm. uh, they came last March, not this past March, but the March before that, and did a segment, a video segment about the wine stains and the wood burn stuff that I'm doing now. Yeah. And... That was fun because it's a segment that other public broadcasting stations can pick up mm -hmm. and incorporate into their arts programs. Mm -hmm. So last week I was um, a part of the Milwaukee program. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure it's aired in St. Peter St. Petersburg, Florida, New York City, San Diego, and maybe a couple other places that I've lost track of well, yeah. yeah so i kind of have to keep on it because a lot of times people aren't coming forth and telling me yeah which is fine 
you know, it's just it's, it's out of my control. It's neat I can that do. it's it's like alternative kind of. Uh, I mean, just the idea of getting featured in wine magazines, mm-hmm. getting featured in you know for for the textile part of things. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, you know, there's you can be creative with who is you who get you're exposure. yeah where yeah. you're how you're gonna find your audience right right yeah uh yeah, and really like cool. uh what oh what's that one magazine high fructose oh yeah had me on their facebook page at one point which oh, was nice. really cool yeah um now that's the one that all the young artists would be like oh yeah. man yeah, <laughs> i know and and it's yeah it, if you were to go and contact them and and say you know this is my work and you know I don't know if you'd want to do a little write up about it or this is who I am, mm-hmm. you know being proactive about it is certainly not going to hurt either. Right. You know I'm just lucky that what I do is interesting enough for people to come to me. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure that if I were to go out and contact people, I could also do it that way. Yeah. Um. And so I think that the combination of, you know, the exposure but no sales, I think, does come from the concern about the wine stains fading. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the things, and I, you know, I myself, I don't want them to fade. I put a lot of work into them. However, it's that nature of what they are. And I'm not about to battle, you know, what makes them so exciting is that they're made with wine. And so you are going to have to love it for all of its evolutionary properties. You know, they might change color. I don't know. They Mm -hmm. might, they might in fact fade, but the series that I'm doing now on wood for the exhibit a show, uh, beyond the face of substance, which is June 6th is Mm -hmm. the opening. Um, I've been dealing with, familiarity because I do portraiture and portraiture is also hard because a lot of times people don't want to buy a portrait of someone they don't know unless there's something very striking about them Mm -hmm. and again it's that kind of singing to you maybe it's striking because it reminds you of your sister or whatever or the person's really beautiful and attractive to you Mm -hmm. um so that's what these pieces are that they're a set they're four different sets of portraits there's a small set of anonymous old photos that i found online of people that were striking to me mm-hmm. and either because they reminded me of something of somebody or it just is an interesting face and then i'm doing another set of my own relatives and old mm-hmm. pictures of my grandparents and great aunts and great grandparents and I, I, of course, love my family, and they're beautiful to me, but to everybody else who is, who is not related to them, who don't know them, mm-hmm. it, they're still anonymous. Mm-hmm. And then I'm doing a third set of famous movie stars from like the 20s and 30s, and how at the time were extremely famous, and their faces would have been easily recognizable, but to us, we don't know these people anymore. Mm-hmm. And then the last set is the dinner party series of the celebrities like Jay-Z and Bill Nye and, mm-hmm. um, and Hedy Lamarr. And these are people that their faces, you know, especially Jay-Z, especially Bill Nye, like they're very 
familiar to us. Mm -hmm. We don't actually know these people, but they're familiar to us. Mm -hmm. And the overarching thing with the, using the wine is that even if the wine fades, it is a reminder that your familiarity, your identity as known to everybody else is probably going to fade eventually. Nice. I mean, there are people you know, that there are, like Einstein is going to be a recognizable face for a very long time. There are certain faces that are very striking and, and, and because of what they've done, we'll know them for a long time. Mm -hmm. But it's one of those things that, yes, the wine may fade, but everything, everything can fade. Mm -hmm. Everything can fade. Yes. And so why does that ever hold anybody back from anything? Mm -hmm. you, you go for it because it's, it sings to you at that time and you let it, you just say, I, I like this, mm -hmm. I like you, I want this. Yes. And you just let that be. There's no, there's artwork, even oil paintings, they will do funny things. Yeah. You they know? Eat themselves. Exactly. We don't know what acrylics are going to do in 60 years. Yeah. You know? It, there are a lot of stability testing and all that kind of stuff. But life happens. My dad had a painting go down in a house fire. Stuff, you know, material things. Monet's work in Buffalo that was largely damaged in wars. Exactly. Yeah, yeah like the Monuments Men stuff in that movie, which yeah. I haven't seen yet. But yeah, the, cool. the concept, like, even though you have this feeling like an oil painting will last a very, a very long time, you don't know these things. Yes. You don't. You don't know how long you're going to last <laughs> yourself, you know? And so you just got to let those things sing out to you and, and just let them be like that. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. You get more done that way. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Your life is more full if you can just say, you know, I mean, well, you can get really philosophical with this and like in relationships or friendships, it's, Sometimes you really want to hang on to it forever and ever and ever. But sometimes mm -hmm. that's not up to you, mm -hmm. you know. And But you just got to let it be what it is, when it is. And, you know, I guess I'm getting really philosophical <laughs> that now. That is life. <laughs> well, I think that we're we'll uh, yeah. be at about an hour for the interview section yeah. of this. So I want to thank you very much for talking I with me. I am so happy yes. to have this was fun. And let's start planning the next bit of things that we're going to talk about. Yeah. I will be definitely having Amelia back on soon and maybe more people who are involved in the art festival that will yeah. be coming up, that there will be a link in the info section of this and there will be plenty of links to uh, other other articles about Amelia and mm -hmm. her videos and... Yeah, yes. all that fun stuff. Cool. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking with Amelia, and I look forward to the next opportunity to do that again. Hopefully it's not going to be too long. Amelia has some very big plans. Amelia's website is trulyamelia.com. You can go see her work in person. As we talked about the importance of seeing people's work in person, you can go and check it out this Friday at Exhibit A on Market Street in Corning, New York. I know I've got some other things that I need to mention, but 
It's really too much to even remember. Go to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash oncanvaspodcast, and you can see some new news that I'll be posting on there. And maybe the next episode or one of the next episodes is going to be kind of a a one-on-one conversation with just me talking to you guys, the listeners, about what the podcast is about and where we're going with it. Maybe. All right, please give us your feedback. Remember, trulyamelia.com. Thank you for listening to On Canvas Podcast. I'm Brad Leiby.